Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. This is episode 135. Thanks for downloading and listening. The Association of Lunar Planetary Observers collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it working. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, you can donate to us via Patreon by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can find out more just by going to www.patreon.com slash Observer's Notebook. And if you'd like to join the Alpo, membership begins at only $18 a year. For more information, find us out at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And we are also on the Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And yes, this podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode. And now we're going to learn about another astronomical organization, the American Astronomical Society. Stay tuned. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this episode of the Observer's Notebook podcast. Today we have a very special guest uh, from the American Astronomical Society, the executive, one of the executive officers, Kevin Marvel. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, good to be here. Yeah. Now, before we get into talking about the the organization, why don't you just give a little bit of background about yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm a a trained research astronomer. I got my PhD in 1996 and uh, took up a postdoc position at Caltech for a couple of years, working at a remote radio telescope. And then that was in Owens Valley, up in Owens Valley, Ah, and then moved uh, to Washington, D.C., by uh, chance, a position had opened up at the AAS for doing public policy, and I was really interested in that. And so I um, was thinking about doing a post, basically like a postdoc position in public policy work here in DC. And the position that I w- became advertised at the AAS, and I was really interested in that. So I signed up for that and was selected. And then in 2006, I took over from my predecessor's executive officer, and I've been, been here since then. Great. Great. Um, now, can you give us a little bit of background about the AAS, how it began, a little history of it? Sure. Uh, we're a pretty old organization. Uh, we were founded in 1899. Mm-hmm. And I always say we're going to be here an equivalent length of time. So it's <laughs> interesting being in my role as sort of a, as a guardian or a shepherd. You know, I've got to keep the organization healthy and hand it on to my successors. Um, but we, for a long time, we were basically volunteer driven. 
And uh, only in the 1970s did they uh, establish a professional executive officer position, which functions like the CEO for the for the corporation, the nonprofit corporation that the AS is. And then um, there have been five executive officers in total, so I'm the fifth. Okay. And um, we started to get more professional around the 70s. We had always had sort of meetings and conferences, um, but then they became larger and larger, and we had to hire professional staff to organize them and contractors to support them. We also started publishing major research journals in the field, um, which are the leading journals these days. And we've taken on other other sort of activities since then, helping people in the community, uh, having a job board that we advertise jobs on, giving career guidance, and the public policy work that I really enjoy doing, which is uh, bringing the excitement of astronomy to policymakers and convincing them to fund the large telescopes and, and missions and equipment that we need. Now, is the WAS is specifically professional astronomers? We're not specifically professional astronomers. We support, our, we're a mission-driven organization, so we okay. want to we want to move forward on astronomy generally, and we reach out to all different types of people who are interested in astronomy. We have um, education affiliates as a member type. We have amateur affiliates as a membership type, international okay. folks. Um, basically, anybody who believes in our mission and, and wants to take advantage of the services and benefits that we provide. Now, you mentioned your, 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 your passion is probably the public policy part of it. That's what I came in as, and I really enjoyed that. But lately, I've been really spending a lot of time trying to um, increase the resilience of the organization, both in governance and operations, but also from a business standpoint. Okay. But just I just want to touch on the public policy right yeah, now sure. for a minute. In the current political environment, trust in science is kind of an issue. How are you dealing with that? Yeah, so we uh, we are pretty active in public policy. We have a two-person team right now, and then I, I help out uh, from time to time. And our main role is to try and advocate and um, uh, for increased funding for research astronomy, um, both at NASA, NSF, and other agencies like the Department of Energy or uh, even the Air Force um, that do work in um, and fund fund research in in astronomy. Um, we haven't had a lot of trouble with um, challenges to okay. astronomy as in general. Um, there's there's certainly people out there that have uh, questions about science that they mm -hmm. tend to be more in at least these days in the medical area <laughs> or true. other things like that. So we haven't really had any any problems. I mean, people kind of um, are, get excited about what we do, really, because it sort of is you know, we live our day-to-day -day lives here on, on planet earth and right. there's all kinds of exciting stuff going on in the universe. So when we can tell people what that is and how we know what's going on and um, why the telescopes and instruments we need are so important for letting us learn more, then they really get excited. And, and uh, we haven't had any challenges from people sort of shouting down astronomy in the public <laughs> sphere. Well, that's good. Uh, how, how large is the organization? We have just over 8,000 oh. members, if you count, of everybody. Um, we think that represents probably a little bit more than a half or two, close to two-thirds of the, the practicing, um, uh, re certainly the practicing research astronomers in the country. But we have, obviously, we have some upside 
now that we're spending more focus on um, on our amateur members, trying to figure out um, activities and, and benefits that they really might be interested in so we can bring more um, amateurs into the into the club, so to say. I'd like to hear about that. What 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 types of things with amateurs are you working with? Because that's the the Alpo is basically a, an amateur organization. So what, what what type of things are you looking at? So so most recently, what we did was we bought Sky and Telescope magazine uh-huh. uh, that was uh, up for auction at a bankruptcy uh, sale. And the reason we did it was that Sky and Telescope is a really a mission driven publication, just like ourselves. And it's really about bringing the science to the people and advancing the science at the same time. Um, And uh, we've been operating it now for almost two years and it's doing well. We're trying to grow more subscribers and we've enhanced the content. Um, We've expanded the the number of articles that get published and um, it's, it's really a great, great uh, acquisition. So that's one thing. And as a member of uh, the AAS, people can get a discounted subscription to Sky and Telescope. The other thing is that we just recently um, acquired the inventory and the book contracts from a well-known publisher in the astronomy space, Wilman Bell Incorporated, which is based in Richmond. And they they have a long history of um, publishing books of interest to to folks doing um, what I would call practical astronomy. So actually going out and observing the sky and trying to understand what's going Mm on. Um, Star atlases um, and the very popular series Annals of the Deep Sky, which just came out in volume eight and is available on our our web store. um, That goes into great detail about what are the objects that you see in the deep sky when with your home telescope and and how, what do we know about them and how do we know about it? It's really an interesting reading. Um, and the books were also a great acquisition and, and really start to build out our capability to um, benefit people in the amateur astronomy space. Okay. Do you have a telescope yourself? I do. I have a, a Mead uh, uh, L, uh, sitting right over here next to me in my office. Oh, so what type of observing do you like to do? Well, I generally, I'm, I'm, I kind of like doing public outreach events. So my, my main thing is in in the neighborhood here locally, when we get a clear and relatively warm night, uh, I like to go out and just show people the bright objects that are up in the sky and have conversations. And what I've found is that everybody just gets excited, you know, the kids running around and Mm -hmm. um, everybody's just thrilled. So that, that really pumps me up and it brings me back to my undergrad days at University of Arizona, where I did the same thing with the campus telescope there. We had a 21 inch uh, reflector on campus um, and which was the original Stewart observatory. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, it was funded actually, as I remember a little bit of trivia it was funded by a wealthy uh, widow in Tucson who bumped into somebody who said, would it be a good idea to have a telescope out there at this new university? And so they built one. Um, it's this grand white stone building right in the middle of campus. It's really, really a great place. But I did like um, ha- Comet Halley came through when I was an undergrad. And so I worked Halley Watch late into oh, the okay. nights, many, many evenings showing the public uh, Comet Halley or on certain weekend nights, we would have it open and show people galaxies, which you can actually do from Tucson downtown, right, with right. large telescope. So I really like that. I like the interaction with people. Um, and, and the excitement that that brings to, to them and also to me. I, I get a thrill by explaining 
things that we know scientifically about the universe. Yeah, there's nothing like showing someone Saturn the first time through a telescope. Yeah, it's like, is that, a, is that a slide? Where's, <laughs> where's, the, where's the computer? Exactly right, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and it's nice how things are right now. Things are starting to open up and more public star parties are taking place. I just talked to the people organizing the winter star parties, so they're going to be holding that early next year, which is nice to see. And the yeah, that'll be star great. star parties happening next yeah, year as well. well so. I think... I think all that fun stuff is going to come back as, as people get more comfortable and more people are vaccinated. Um, it will become commonplace to to go back out in the night sky and, and share the wondrous beauty mm-hmm. that it is. It is definitely, definitely. So who can join the organization? Pretty much anybody we have, we have um, the application procedure uh, online <clears throat> and we do review um, what we, the, the, the membership, uh, to make sure that uh, the, the the people who are participating in the organization are really science focused, and so we don't we don't have space, for example, for UFO enthusiasts or anything like that. We're, no we're a science organization, sure. you know, and we 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 focus on the scientific knowledge of the universe, and so we make sure that, uh, to the best extent possible, that people who are signing up to be members are are of that of that type and are looking, looking at the universe from a scientific basis, not a fantasy basis. Okay. Now being called the American Astronomical Society, are your members all in the U.S.? They're not. Um, you know, it, we were founded in 1899. We, our, our name was solidified in 1915, actually. Um, <clears throat> took them a while to figure out what, exactly what they wanted to call themselves. But the, the, so at that time, you know, international travel, although it was possible, it wasn't easy or common. And so a lot of organizations formed um, that were geographically focused. And so, it, it, for example, there was the Astronomical Society of the Pacific, um, right. which formed and, and functionally did quite a lot of the same things that, that the American Astronomical Society did at my organization. Uh, but mainly it was because they were all the way out there on the West Coast. And we were, you know, mainly on the East Coast and mm-hmm. the middle of the country. And it was just travel was hard. Um, and but now these days our membership is fully international. There's something like 15% of our members are are international. Okay. Um, but we do, you know, some of the main benefits we give to people are the organization of our regular conferences, like the one we have coming up in January in Salt Lake City, where we bring a couple of thousand astronomers together to to share research results. And it's difficult for people from overseas to come to those. Um, but they do. So we do have international people participating. We very much welcome them. But the main benefit is sort of a disc. One of the main benefits is a discount uh, to those to the registration fee if you're a member. Um, and so that's why we created the international affiliate membership, which basically says you can be an international affiliate, but you don't get a discounted rate to the to Got the it. conference. Um, but yeah, we, we, we welcome everybody who's who's focused on the scientific knowledge of the universe and expanding it, moving it forward. Okay. Um, you mentioned the conference. We just held our annual conference, but it was a virtual <laughs> conference. Are you doing the same thing? No, you know, we did, uh, we moved, we had to move very quickly when the pandemic broke. Uh, we had a June, 2021, 2020 meeting, oh. which we had to shift to be fully virtual. And we, we managed to do that in just a couple months. Uh, and then we held our winter meeting in 2021, fully virtual and our summer meeting 2021, fully virtual. And the governing board, we're a nonprofit organization that mm-hmm. is governed by a group of elected individuals. They had a 
uh, we have a regular monthly meeting and they had a discussion about all of the pluses and minuses to moving back to an in-person meeting. And uh, in the end of the day, they decided to hold an in-person meeting. We'll have some of the content will be available virtually, but mainly just the plenary talks um, at a much reduced registration rate, obviously. Um, but the decision was made that really we're, we can have an in-person meeting. We can do it safely as long as we mandate vaccination for everybody. And that's what we've done. Um, and so far we have great, great, uh, great uh, registration. We have something like 1600 people registered already. We have 2,100 abstracts submitted for presentations. Of oh different my goodness. Types. And so we're, we're going to have at least, at least, 2100 people probably more we'll probably i'm betting we're going to have 2750 or so at the end of the day now now where's that going to be held we'll be in salt lake city in the second week of january um and at the in downtown at the convention center there okay how many days is the conference it's a our meeting is always four days long um we have an opening reception typically on sunday and then we have uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are full days, and Thursday is a two-thirds long day for our winter meeting, um, and with just jam-packed with content. I mean, one of the most common complaints we get about our meetings is that, that there's too much happening, mm-hmm. and I always, tell, I always tell people that that's a good thing, that we, do, we really shouldn't worry about the fact that there's so much exciting science that people are, are upset that they can't attend every single thing because that means that we're really serving a good purpose, which is a real, sometimes it's referenced as the Super Bowl of astronomy because it takes (laughs) place in January. But um, we really, that is a key meeting for astronomy in the United States and and represents an annual update in our knowledge of of the, the universe and everything out there. So all the information on that is available on your website? It is uh, aas.org. And um, <clears throat> you can uh, see our meetings. We also have um, active divisions, um, which specialize in different areas, heliophysics, planetary science, just to name two, and um, also history, history uh, of astronomy, very active group, and uh, laboratory astrophysics, division on dynamical astronomy. People do orbits and, and interesting things about motion in, in the universe. And finally, high energy astrophysics, which is mainly focused on black holes and oh. very high energy objects in the universe. Fantastic. Now, you mentioned that you have different types of memberships, too. Yeah, we have quite a range. I, don't, I won't try and go through them all okay. here because they are available online, but we have sort of a student level membership. So undergrad and graduate students can join. We have uh, various types of what we call affiliate memberships, um, amateur educator um, and international. And then we also have uh, division affiliate members. Sometimes people are members of like the American geophysical union and they're interested a bit in planetary science, but maybe they don't want to be a full up member of the WS so they can join as a division affiliate member. And then we have our normal full members and um, emeritus members, so people who are, have retired from a career or otherwise in, in astronomy. Okay, so membership fees vary for the different members. They do, the- yeah. We try and be pretty equitable there and set, set prices appropriately. Uh, we do subsidize student memberships quite heavily because we, we believe that it's important for us to foster the next generation of astronomers. And we think we can do that by bringing them in as members. And um, uh, emeritus and other groups pay less. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, I, I've spent a lot of time on your website recently preparing mm-hmm. for this, and I'm really impressed by the layout of it and the information you have available. What really got me was the educational 
things. You yeah, have there's on there a lot as well. of great stuff there. We're still working on. I mean, websites. Once you start one, they get complicated pretty quick, especially because mm-hmm. you know we use it as our e-commerce platform and our membership interaction point and database. There's like so many parts, uh, so it's a constantly up, up, upgrade, updating thing. But we did win an award um, a few years ago for, for I think they call it a Webby for our overall oh. design um, and layout and, and functionality, which we're quite happy with. That's great. Yeah. And another area of that website was your careers. You, you, it seems you really want to help out uh, college students and working astronomers and, and uh, other fields actually to find careers in the, in their interests. Yeah, 100%. Um, and the interesting thing is that, you know, something, something less than two thirds of people that start out, pursuing astronomy as undergrads mm-hmm. end up working in the, in the discipline in the end. Um, but we we're graduating something like almost 200 PhDs a year now in astronomy oh, or close related discipline. And uh, most of them end up getting jobs uh, in astronomy. Some go into industry, but we've taken the position that we firmly believe uh, a degree in astronomy, whether undergrad or graduate uh, really does a good job of preparing for you, pre- preparing people for the careers of today and tomorrow. And it gives you a good, good set of skills for problem solving. And, um, that's been made clear. A lot of people get jobs in the tech sector. Um, but we have a set of, um, webinars that we've created mm-hmm. with, uh, some, some consultants, and those are available through our AAS YouTube channel. And anyone can watch those. No, no charge. Um, and they, uh, if you want to participate in them in live, there's a, a charge. Um, but the idea is to try and give people the tools and the knowledge that they need to have a successful career, whether they go into astronomy or they go and take their astronomy training and, and go a different career path. Yeah, it seems to me that if, if you are working in a field relative to astronomy, being a member of this organization, is like a requirement. I mean, it really is with all the information available and, and future activities and things like that because it's really cutting edge what you guys are also advertising yeah yeah it used to be very common for all astronomers to join uh, in graduate school because their their advisors basically told them they had to <laughs> um and these days you know it's and it's a general trend in the nonprofit sector generally among member organizations is that the neck the current generation of people that are are joining organizations or considering joining organizations are a little bit more transactional in nature um, but we like to think that we we do so much for the community of astronomy that it's really it's it's not just about the transaction. By joining, you're helping the whole discipline move forward in lots of ways. Um, like just as to cite one example, we established a professional code of ethics that guides how people operate as uh, in research astronomy and what the yeah. expectations should be. Um, and we actually have a complaint process to to deal with people who think that maybe something isn't, isn't being done in line with that. And what, what that does is it sets a high bar for, for participating in our discipline, but it also means that, you know, results can be trusted and that um, uh, people are given credit properly for, for the work they do on different projects. And so that helps the whole discipline. So that's just one example um, why being a member is important. Now, does your organization offer like peer review of papers and things like that? Yeah, all of our all of our scholarly journals operate on on peer review, so we we do peer review process for those. Um, and just recently, our our we decided to take our journals open access, 
What that means is that there's no subscription fee involved uh, after January of this year, uh, sorry, January 2022, there won't be any uh, need to have a subscription to get the most recent research papers that are coming out. So uh, anybody will be able to access those going forward. And all of it's online, obviously. All of it's online, yeah, at journals.aas.org. And you can you can see all of the all of the journals. And I'll point out one exciting new journal that we started, uh, two actually, that we started recently was um, the Planetary Science Journal. So it's in partnership with our Division for Planetary Science. And uh, that focuses on things about planets, mm-hmm. research about planets. It's quite a, quite a great uh, great journal, and it's it's growing substantially. We're getting a lot of submissions, which is exciting. And um, the other one that I really like is research notes of the AAS. These are short, short articles that can be even uh, just a tip about a negative result. And those are just fun to read. There's quite a lot of exciting um, research notes that come in that are not quite big enough to be a full research paper, but are interesting nonetheless. That's pretty interesting that your publications are going to be free. (laughs) Yep. Free to all. It was, it was, um, it was a, tough decision because we had a, we had a business model that was pretty robust um, uh, that kept the prices low for everybody. So both our subscriptions were low and the cost to authors was low. Um, But with the way policy changes are being um, implemented across the world, especially in Europe right now, uh, it just made a lot of sense to make that transition right now, instead of waiting and being forced to do it later under someone else's terms. And so we just decided to, to, to move in that direction. So authors who submit their work to us do have to pay uh, to have the article published. Um, But we do, we also expanded our our fee waiver budget so that we can, we can um, make sure that if there's good research that comes in and someone just doesn't have enough money to, to pay for the author charge, the publication charge that we'll be able to give them either a discount or a a free ride. Okay. Looking through, there's also a number of working groups and committees that the organization has. Can you talk about some of those? <clears throat> Any good membership organization succeeds or fails based on volunteer involvement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the working groups and the committees that we have are structured to really allow those volunteers to come in and uh, give us their time in exchange for moving the field forward. So we have quite a few. Um, we have one, for example, on um, on uh on education, so interest in, in how we can improve our teaching within our discipline. We have one on public policy to sort of give us guidance about mm-hmm. how, when, how and when we should weigh in. And then we also have some working groups that uh, help us in different ways. Um, and uh, they're, they're, it's a fantastic way uh, to help your organization and all of our volunteers do a great job. And it's such an honor to have them donate their time to help us move things along. It just, I'm always wowed by the commitment and the um, dedication of our volunteers and how much they enable us to achieve. Very good. Very good. Now you mentioned the pub- publications, how many different publications do you guys put out? <clears throat> oh my goodness. Um, I was just updating the Wikipedia page yesterday. Oh. So I should know. Um, let's see. So we have the astrophysical journal. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the main one, our right? Main, our main yeah. journal. Uh, then that has two additional pieces to it. Uh, the, um, the supplement, which is really for longer papers or papers that are more data focused. And then um, we have the astrophysical journal letters, which is sort of a short, punchy results, um, typically 
or very current, exciting research that needs to be to, to get out quickly. And we also have the Astronomical Journal, which is our oldest journal, and uh, the new one that we just started, Planetary Science mm -hmm. Journal, research notes. So quite a handful. Great. Now, so how does someone become involved with the activities of the AAS? Well, they can um, sign up um, anytime um, they they wish, uh, express interest to their various committee that they might be interested in, and then um, they can uh, they can take up the activities that they're interested in doing. Okay, I will add a link uh, on the podcast notes to the AAAS as well, so people can just click there and go right to the. Oh, that'd be great. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Kevin, is there anything else you'd like to share about the organization? No, I think um, I'm, I've, I've had a great um, career so far, and I hopefully I'll be able to serve out a few more years here. But I had no idea uh, that I would end up in a role like this, working for an organization as great as the AAS. Um, I kind of fell into the job, and I have to say that I just feel um, joy every day when I, uh, working in this role, because it really fits me well. It suits, suits my skills and my interests. And it also is connected to the science that I love and have loved since I was a small child. Um, and so it's just been, uh, great working for the AAS. We do so much, um, and the staff and the volunteers are, are key in that. And I get a lot of energy from both of them. So, it's a good organization and we are always open to ideas. So if anyone out there has ideas of what we could do better or different, I'm always happy to hear them. Great. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and your passion for the organization is very obvious. Thank you very much. You bet. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. I again want to thank uh, Mr. Uh, Kevin Marvel for coming on and talking about the AAS. And hope everybody goes over to their website and checks it out and joins the organization if you can. We upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. It really helps us out. You can also listen on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon Echo, and also Spotify. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon. You can give up to $35 a month, where you receive one year's membership to the Alpo and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank our two producers of this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moyer, for their continued generous support of the Observer's Notebook. The link for the Patreon as well, the link for the Alpo is in the show notes. If you'd like to get a hold of me, my email address is cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at, at @observersnbpod. Until next time, my hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening. <laughs>